0: Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. This week, the story is about another something heavily criticized that is certainly due its day in the sun. Uh, Its opportunity for unbridled praise, I think, is definitely here on our podcast. In the ongoing discussion of what is the best Star Wars movie or what are the best Star Wars movies, there are typically two or three that fall at the bottom of almost everyone's lists. And a couple of months ago, we did a podcast listing our top six favorite things about one of those movies. Uh, that was The Phantom Menace. And now we're gonna do favorite things about Attack of the Clones. This, of course, is Star Wars episode two. Uh, this in the It's episode two of the Skywalker saga. It's a movie that's deeply imperfect, to be sure, uh, but not without its many valuable facets. And so on this pod, we're going to give mention to a, as many of those as possible. Ross, did you find it easier or more difficult to list positives about episode one or episode two? Which one was was an easier exercise for you? Oh, that's a really good question. I probably should have reviewed my episode one in a little bit more depth than I did. I kind of just took a quick, quick glance at it um, just to make sure that I interpreted it in the, in the same way. Uh, it didn't take me that long. There were not necessarily maybe things I felt as passionate about. Um, however, I do rank this movie above the Phantom Menace, whereas a lot of people would have this movie below the Phantom Menace. I think more people would have this movie below Phantom Menace, you included. And oh, yeah. I think, and I think that the Phantom Menace has, um, I think the Phantom Menace is, is, is a better movie. Uh, however, Attack of the Clones, I believe is a more valuable piece to the Star Wars universe, uh, in the way that it kind of interprets a point in film. Now, yes, the start of Anakin's journey, you would think, I mean, it has such an incredible value. Absolutely. Qui-Gon's death, it all has a ton of value with Phantom Menace, but Attack of the Clones is, is really this specific important point and it's supposed to be a summation and it doesn't do a perfect job but it is an entry point to the clone wars television show and the clone wars as an entirety ends in the first few minutes of revenge of the sith and so the clone wars supposed like that is the war that is the centerpiece of this trilogy and although um it's almost kind of entirely skated over, this is the film that I feel kind of brings its um, kind of vibe into the Star Wars universe the best. It also broadens Coruscant in really interesting ways. It expands the galaxy in huge ways, and it massively, massively connects back to the original trilogy, whereas The Phantom Menace does feel uh, more separate and it is the largest gap between two movies in a trilogy yep. um, but it does this is the one that really starts to feel like it's connecting this this broad saga together. Um, and then there are some just uh, there's, there's no there's a few really bad acting and a couple bad writing parts between Padme and Anakin. but aside from that, I mean there's no real standout terrible thing in this movie. Well, except for that, the things you just kind of grazed over are are really hard to ignore. Like bad things, they, the really bad dialogue, are, the sorry, really bad I acting. Guess, I, it, yeah, I guess I'm more so just in. I mean, in terms of of uh, plot. these are these are more mechanical things and so in terms of my appreciation for the entire overall star wars saga those mechanical things i find easier to look over i think that's fair i actually do think it's a pretty well plotted movie although it's not a well paced movie it's it's to me it feels feels like the longest star wars movie it actually seems to go on forever and ever because it has these passages these kind of like books within this this particular chapter um uh, geonosis and camino and um uh, all these different portions of it that just kind of string together i mean naboo or or their little their little lovers getaway and i was Mm -hmm. trying when i was thinking about like all the flaws in this movie as i was kind of zipping through it to come up with a list of positives i we've of course discussed the the issues with hayden christensen and and we have You know, not as many issues with him as some people do, but again, you know, imperfect. And I think something we've failed to consider in the past about the awkwardness of his dynamic, in particular in this film, uh, is the fact that he's suddenly new in this movie, and we've already been given an opportunity to be immersed in this this new world. And suddenly Mm -hmm. there's this new guy. And part of the reason that's a little bit clunky is because we do already know natalie portman and so Mm -hmm. i wonder if there had been obviously we've talked about how it would be nice if the same actor could have played anakin for all three movies um or if he had started out a little bit older maybe it would have been just as effective if a different actress a younger actress played natalie portman in the phantom menace or or if the 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 two actors together could have had longer opportunity to establish their chemistry because that's another thing that's ill-paced about this film is their relationship is crazy they haven't seen each other in literally right. a decade in 10 years and suddenly he's like you know he's got a big crush on her again then there's some flirting she's a little impatient then they kind of fall in love i truly deeply love you and they get married at the end of the film and, yep. and like that is that is freaking breakneck pace yeah. Um, and so maybe it would be a little bit easier for us to digest if everything else was the same, but the same actor played him in the previous movie and we have a relationship with this dynamic. I think you totally, I think that's a, I think there, that's l- just laced with great observation. And uh, I, I, I failed to mention the, the the change of actor being one of those other huge things that I feel that separates Phantom Menace. Another reason is why, I mean, as much as we love, I love Qui-Gon and we both love Qui-Gon, Um, having Hayden Christensen um, be part of this movie is a really valuable thing and I agree it it takes away from their relationship and I never really viewed it that you're right it's the pacing not just the pacing is bad in this movie uh, and the pacing is not great for the relationship regardless but specifically the reason as to why it's so incredibly weird is because it's the beginning of these two actors' chemistry as these two characters. And I never really realized that, and it makes complete sense. Um, But yeah, that's really, really on the nose because uh, immediately it's a backstory that we kind of know, but it also, there is still that disconnect because this is the first immediate entry point to this new anecdote. Well, it's like Cory and Topanga got married too young too, but at least we saw them grow up together and it wasn't just some new Cory in season four. Um, so that's kind of how I felt about it. It's actually a really good place to, for me to start uh, at number six because we're talking about the- Jedi meets world? <laughs> that's a show I'd watch on Disney+. There you um, go. It could happen. Um, so we're talking about the, the strangeness of this new guy coming in and being an older, only vaguely more mature Anakin. And that's a good place for me to start. Number six on my list of my favorite things about Attack of the Clones. And that is the reunion between Anakin Skywalker and Watto. My father the my Skywalker. Honey? Little honey? Nah. You are honey, it is you! <laughs> you sure spotted, huh? huh? <laughs> the Jedi, what do you know? <laughs> Hey, maybe you could help with some deadbeats. Who owe me a lot of money? My mother. Oh, yeah. Shmi. So Watto is someone I have paid a little bit of, like, indirect respect towards in, like, several different <laughs> episodes of this podcast, and I don't know what that says about me because he is... I have he's, to. He's, he, he is terrible, though. And he's, oh, he's awful. He's ethically like terrible. Him because of that. I mean, I guess so, but he's not, like, he's not cool and unethical and he's not like likable in some kind of like badass way he's actually very annoying but he does occasionally relate to other characters in really um interesting and kind of entertaining ways previously his scenes with Qui-Gon Jinn or something I've highlighted um, and here the way his whole attitude towards Anakin has kind of changed it, it it's oddly very sweet if you try your best to detach the slavery of it all um mm. he hasn't changed his ways he's still a scumbag Watto but the the way he calls him little Annie and he kind of can't believe it 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 makes him seem like he has a sort of affection for Anakin and he's glad that he's done well it's kind of nice to witness I also think that this scene um, uh, maybe it stands out to me now because I went through and I was like oh yeah this is a great scene I always forget that this scene is coming it always kind of surprises me that Watto turns up Mm. again and it it makes me happy in in a weird twisted kind of way I'm so happy you have this on there. This is one of my favorite honorable mentions. I, it didn't make mine, but I I really wanted to discuss it. He's wearing that, like, funny little metal hat. Yeah. And you're right. He's excited to see Anakin, and he's proud that he's succeeded. Uh, because it almost is like, okay, well, I mean, that worked out horribly, but at least, uh, you know, I mean, like, shmi has gone as well. They're both gone, but, I mean, they both did well enough for themselves. And, like oh, maybe I can get something out of it if I butter him up a little bit. Right. And like, But yeah, you're right. Watto's terrible, but at the same time, so is Jabba the Hutt. And we love Jabba the Hutt. And it, it kind of works in a similar sort of way. Jabba the Hutt's disgusting, and Watto is disgusting in a, a different way, but just uh, just as disgusting. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a really uh, important moment uh, and I think one of the best moments to connect Anakin uh, jake lloyd to anakin hayden christensen exactly. and i think hayden christensen acts it excellently and i think uh i don't know who does the voice of Watto. uh i should know that one um andy secondby is this name. very cool um, yeah uh andy you, j- you just know that you looked that up for this we've just wished him happy birthday enough times that now i remember nice andy yeah. secondby so andy <laughs> secondby does a great uh he does a great realization it's really great uh, either performance capture or uh, just voice acting as well uh to kind of show that sweetness that we're able to somehow like g- smile seeing this slave owner again you're right we should kind of talk about Hayden's uh performance in that scene because Watto is kind of weirdly charming and he um he has an affection for Annie and he's uh he's happy to see him um, it's not exactly mutual. Like it's not like Anakin is like excited no. to see Watto, but he's still very measured. And he's like, "Look, I'm not going to be like chummy with you. We're not. We're not like old friends. Um, hmm. But we can be civil because maybe you can help me out." And y- you're right. It's actually it's a very. I mean, it's kind of what uh, his version of Anakin Skywalker was born to do. Like cold detachment and being like moody about about his relationship with somebody. It's really what he does best. But it makes a lot of sense here. I think it's cool because it, it merges a couple things. It immediately makes me think of Qui Gon interacting with Watto. Yeah. And how Anakin, the ideal situation is he grows up to be like Qui Gon. Um, and then also, it reminds me uh, quite a bit of um, I'm a person and my name is Anakin. I love that line. It's a great line. Yeah. But also, it, it just the tone that he has. Um, reminds me a lot of the tone that Jake Lloyd takes uh, in The Phantom Menace. And so, yeah, I think this is a really powerful scene um and uh yeah interestingly enough uh that book Master and Apprentice uh, with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan I went back to start to to reading it again and uh, I think the big problem is it's just got a ridiculously slow middle third oh okay um and so the the last third has been really good I just have a little bit left to go uh and it's really focused a lot on uh Qui-Gon's uh kind of moral dilemma with the council uh and also on, on like specifically on an issue of slavery and on his understanding of the prophecies so two like totally different related elements but things that clearly lead to the position that he takes in the phantom menace and it's 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 really quite interesting adding more to of course the the lore of qui-gon being the right jedi as well nice okay what is your number six sir Uh, my number six is one of the coolest sounds in Star Wars and that would be the seismic charges hell yeah seismic charges stand by Just such a cool chase scene. Uh, You can see the inside of Slave One, uh, and Obi-Wan is in a bit of a dogfight, and Obi-Wan doesn't like to fly, but he doesn't have Anakin there, so he's at least able to do it a little bit more measured this time. And then you've got these two elite, like this bounty hunter and his clone son. uh, And then through all this, just the sonic cut of a seismic charge, this cool weapon that can just like radiate a pulse in space and be so visually uh, aligned with the sound it making just such perfect sense for something that just isn't a thing. It's just, it's what some of the best sound engineering in star Wars uh, and some of just the best ways in which star Wars just kind of captures that, just creativity in the way that they can piece things these things together to to create, and it's, it's like the on maneuver uh, in Episode Eight, uh, really kind of mirroring that point there. Just true feats of technology at the same time, in, in just making such a cool action moment and the stuff that just gets everybody excited about Star Wars. It's so interesting that you that you choose to view it as an innately intrinsically Star Warsy uh moment from a technical standpoint because they've taken this thing that doesn't exist this fictional thing and created a sound effect for it and that is true that's something that traditionally has happened with star wars i mean that's lightsabers are the prime example of that like the 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 artistic development of this foley to kind of better immerse you but that's just the opposite of how i feel about it to me it doesn't feel star warsy and every now and then star wars movies kind of step outside their lane and they try something like cinematically more artistic that doesn't feel exactly right and we see a couple of those um like cinematographical shots in particular in the series uh in the sequel trilogy you'll see like some like certain yes, things just feel definitely. a little bit more artful and like not as as um seri- colors cereal boxes star wars absolutely um but to me, the, the sound or the lack of sound that uh, really kind of punctuates the seismic charge moment you're discussing doesn't feel like Star Wars to me because it feels almost like, like a James Cameron decision or like a Ridley Scott decision. It doesn't feel like something that would come from a George Lucas movie, although it did. Um, and I'm not saying it doesn't fit because I think this sound is amazing. And, and for me, that's kind of what makes it stand out is that it, it kind of like it feels so foreign even in Star Wars. Oh, I think that's a really cool take that you kind of view it differently that way. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because James Cameron, it's its somebody that, that he's pretty similar to someone like Lucas. Yeah. Uh, it's just they've not both of neither of them have done many projects. Uh, it's just amazing the fact that Lucas has done even fewer. Uh, and it's it really and I guess maybe it's because James Cameron is such a. He's known as being such a hog, whereas Lucas is also known as being, like, one of the best collaborators ever. That's Although right. he's He's known as being, a, like, occasionally difficult to work with. He builds these ridiculously talented teams of technical wizards. And so I see it as part of the evolution, and I think it, it's cemented even further by being um, kind of similarly replicated in The Last Jedi. I'd like to see Seismic Charges come back. Uh, And I think it's cool that it's also like it's a a very um, it it fits with like the pulse rifle that is in the Mandalorian. Uh, And so that's like similar to the way that like the, the Fets would utilize their weaponry. And so it's like slightly outside the box in that regard. So it's like probably got Mandalorian origins to it. It's just it's 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 just cool in the way that it kind of broadens the galaxy there. Um, And and part of the reasons as to why I like this movie is for its ability to broaden the galaxy. For all the, the weaponry and violence in Star Wars, they're actually pretty sparing with explosives in Star Wars. And obviously, like thermal detonators are a thing. But it's not even really that canonically clear how strong these different devices are or what they're best used for and like it just doesn't seem like and maybe because it's just not as as theatrical to put a big explosion like it's we can have a big explosion in any old michael bay movie um but like i mean what what we're talking about right here is a great example of an explosion that's exciting or the hold on maneuver it's just kind of explosive it's not tnt but like i was always really interested in thermal detonators and then i guess seismic chargers as well i'm not sure what was interesting about them to me maybe it was a video game thing it would have been video games for us for sure but uh i don't know i kind of like to see them do a little bit more of that why not
1: it definitely seems like
0: something you could see in in mandalorian that could have some more explosives yeah i mean i'm sure thermal detonators were in mandalorian season one somewhere yeah uh if i just probably can't pull it off the top of my head but it's absolutely the kind of thing that would be right in the the toolbox of Favreau and Feloni. Okay, so I'm going to move Debra on. And Deborah Chow, who loves her action. So maybe we'll see some in uh, Kenobi as well. I'm going to move on to number five. I don't actually know how to characterize this item, which is a very broad concept. Um, th- this is the Star Wars movie with the most obvious digital rendering. Uh, and that's not generally something I consider to be a positive because that shouldn't stand out as much as it does for that reason cinematography feels like the wrong word for what I want to highlight here um but a few of the wide shots the aerial shots uh are not only oh, yeah. they're not only cool to look at they're like effective narrative devices in attack of the clones the huge clone army um, on Kamino like in the big grid and they're all wearing the white armor and it's the first time we've seen that in the prequels uh, the Geonosis Coliseum during the huge battle all the lightsabers two great examples of of really exciting evocative uh, frames visuals that essentially give this movie its identity it's what the movie is in brief I don't like how this film looks except for when I do And in those cases, I really do. Does that make sense? I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, The first, when you started describing this, the first shot I immediately thought of uh, was Anakin uh, meditating on the balcony on Naboo. Oh, beautiful one. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're right. The movie is filled with a bunch of shots. that are just like, that looks weird. That looks weird. That's a cartoon. Um, That aged poorly. But it's also filled with a bunch of wow that aged really well or oh my god there's no way i would have ever known how that was done uh back when this was in theaters in what was it 2001 um 2002 2002 yeah 2002 um it's just it's it's incredible it, it, the, there are some really really amazing shots that they can capture uh, digitally whether it's like wide shots on camino for god's sakes um geonosis it's got it's got really broad uh terrestrial landscapes in this movie so you get a lot of kind of um creative freedom to show some really really cool shots and 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 they do and Naboo is beautiful so there's some great ones there and like the walkway of Anakin and Padme and R2 the two of the when they're gonna get on the the refugee ship right uh yeah there's some yeah I totally totally agree there's just, there's a bit of a color con- contrast in this movie or a lack of contrast occasionally, which is just, it's really disappointing. It stood out to me in particular, like it, you see it right away when, when the queen's decoy is landing. There's just a tremendous lack of vibrance in that visual. And certainly that's true. I mean, in, in parts of Geonosis, a lot of Count Dooku stuff is very just like brown and washed out, but um an example of something that's that's really good uh, is that opening chase scene with who's the bounty hunter? What's her name? Zam Wessel. Zam Wessel. So I actually think that's that's pretty, pretty well rendered. And cool. and what's funny about that is there's like a pretty famous Ewan McGregor gif of him sitting in the cockpit of that little ship that he's in and he's being very silly. He's like mm. he's like driving like with a big dumb smile on his face, and all you see behind him are the blue screens. And so that really highlights that none of this was real but like when anakin is like flying through the streets of coruscant while just like dangling from a little probe droid that's that's pretty effective that's like that's that's pretty well communicated and then on the other hand there are huge moments um that that you're right they just look incredibly cartoony a lot of the geonosians look really cartoony to me yeah no there are actually there are some shots Uh, Around the Django Fett part uh, and some parts where they show closer up to buildings or closer up to skyline uh, In that kind of chase sequence that look like shit Hmm. Um, And you're totally right. There's in certain shots. It's purple and certain shots It's like a muddy orange, but there's this kind of colored haze over so many shots And it's like the sky is either this, like, orange or this purple. And then the surroundings also semi-mirror it. And so you're right. It's got very poor contrast. It flattens Uh, the movie. It makes it look very two-dimensional. It definitely does. And also, I mean, in in a similar way to the way matte paintings were done in the original trilogy, uh, there's only so much that can be done. Right. Uh, But there is definitely a technical leap in the way that that haze is no longer present in Revenge of the Sith, really at all. Right, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, Which I, is a win. I don't have anything more to say about that, but occasional, occasional cinematography is my number five. What is yours? Nice. Uh, my number five would be the elevator ride up uh, between Anakin and Obi-Wan. You seem a little on edge. Not at all. I haven't felt you this tense since since we fell into that nest of gum dogs. <laughs> You fell into that nightmare, Master, and I rescued you, remember? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're sweating. Relax. Take a deep breath. I haven't seen her in 10 years, Master. The entry point of our Hayden Christensen uh, the banter between the two, uh, the brothers kind of joking back and forth, uh, one of them being very just an awkward teenager already. And then Obi-Wan with his awkward, weird little beard uh, and his bad haircut uh, being the transition into the badass, cool Obi-Wan that the Internet is in love with. Um, and let's face it, everybody's in love with. Um, but it's just this it's this great, positive, friendly moment. And we see a couple more in Revenge of the Sith. And um, we see a couple more in this movie as well. Um, but it shows a friendship that's nice to see. And it's a, supposed to kind of sum up. I mean, like, hey, we haven't seen these characters in 10 years. And he kind of viewed them as a burden before. Whereas now it's kind of a proud brothership. And that's really encouraging to see. Uh, and it it does a good job of making these characters feel like like long-term friends and it bleeds really well into that chase sequence where there's a bunch more banter as well um but i in particular like the start on the elevator uh, i like the shot I like the cinematography of it because it's daytime it looks really nice which like it's just great to see with like the background and all of course i'm kind of whooshing behind them um and then just the fun dialogue between them it's great actually because it's a good it's a good advancement in Obi-Wan's development it's not like this wry sense of humor didn't exist for him in the Phantom Menace Mm. the negotiations were short it was there but he just didn't really get that from Qui-Gon it's not that they didn't have a good relationship it was just different their dynamic was was much more um, uh, master and master and apprentice whereas this, this is a little bit more equal although sometimes their master and apprentice dynamic creates friction between these two but it's just good writing in that scene it's just kind of good like it's it's a, a really solid setup it does completely change the attitude of anakin however and like we just talked about how different he is and how occasionally jarring it is that he's no longer the same person we watched in the first movie granted jake lloyd's anakin was a little too rose-colored glasses and 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 yippee all the time literally um whereas now anakin is a, is clearly established to have a bit of a a bite a bit of an edge um, yeah but i still see him as being kind of just in his youthful I, I still see him he seems more youthful on the elevator and i feel that connects well yeah uh, and I don't, I don't know what it is but then when his anger comes out he seems a little bit older but then also a little bit more childish because he's so angry <laughs> i guess he's so, like a little more respectful of obi-wan in this scene too even though they're kind of like yeah. verbally sparring like he is still calling him master and he's kind of like he's apologizing also kind of lowering himself earlier in the movie to be yeah. like smaller whereas later on he gets a little bit more broad and stands up taller to give the the darth vader shadow as opposed to being the, the slightly cowering uh padawan who is taller than ewan mcgregor is he a tall guy hayden christensen i think hayden christensen's 6 2. that's pretty tall yeah, yeah he was i think he's the shortest person to wear the vader suit though <laughs> Right, and so then this relationship obviously creeps up a fair amount for the next two films, and you would know it much better than I, having seen a lot of it in the Clone Wars TV show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really a great kind of setup to that relationship that continues forward uh, and the dynamic that they have. And it's it's a great brothership, but I mean, I think it does a good job of illustrating it the more times you watch these two movies. Um, The fact that it's all there, it's just... There are only two movies. There's only so much you can develop in that amount of time. Maybe we're being negligent not to consider the fact that you like this movie more than I do because you like the Clone Wars more than I do, because you have this strong relationship yeah. with that show. And Absolutely. it's, a, it's of course, uh, fundamentally attached to this film, whereas Definitely. I would put Phantom Menace above this film every single time. But that has to be part of it for you. I, I absolutely agree. And I, yeah. and I and that's I, because of the kind of the way it it broadens out into what is explored in the Clone Wars and what's wrapped up in Revenge of the Sith. And I have such a massive preference for Revenge of the Sith of the trilogy. It so massively wins out for me, of course, that its connection to Attack of the Clones, I also appreciate a little bit more almost, ok. All right. My number four is the visiting of the Lars homestead. Um, It's just like it's like a highly essential and historic moment in Skywalker history and for Luke's heritage in particular to learn that his father has indeed been to what is his childhood home. He was there, uh, albeit briefly and in anger. Uh, I think we're kind of robbed uh, of getting to know the Larses in any kind of significant way in this in this trilogy. And hopefully we have that um, expanded upon in the Obi-Wan series. We've talked a lot about how we would like to see Joel Edgerton. It seems like a, a strong likelihood. Um, they build this backstory for Klieglars, who's like the patriarch, and Shmi, which he himself kind of like just talks over, so you know what happened. I, I do wish there was a little more there because um, I like Shmi Skywalker. It's just so rich to see Anakin and Padme in Luke's workshop um, at the dinner table, where you know there's blue milk traditionally it is a little strange how unchanged this home is it looks exactly the same um but i guess that's what we would want for for fan service um i just think this location matters in star wars and it's it's really important that they put it in one of these movies yeah i think that's a really great thing to hit on another honorable mention of mine um it's great to to see that domed hut uh it's just it's a classic star wars Feel to be back on Tatooine uh, and in particular it's 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 cool to meet Owen and Beru uh, to get them introduced it's necessary to make Revenge of the Sith make sense and have that entry point uh, but no I, I I agree I think it's uh, it's a it's a really great sequence um, there are obviously some some bits of dialogue in there that are odd um, and then there are some that are there are really spot-on despite the fact that they've become memes um, and so, yeah, I, I agree. There's an essential element, uh, and then it ties back in well with all the way in The Rise of Skywalker and, and showing that this is um, kind of, for for us, it's, it's it's the homestead for the fan base as well. Well, that's a good point. I also think that whoever this guy is they got to play, Klegler's, is, is a really good uh, casting job because he looks very much like he could be the father of... Uncle Owen in episode four, if not Uncle mm-hmm. Owen in this movie. Um they just kind of have the same like gruff exterior. Um and then he's like a pretty well known actor. He's just, like Welsh or Australian oh, okay uh, I can't remember, but I think he's fairly well known for where he's from. We may have discussed this when we talked about these movies in, with a finer tooth comb, but uh does he die off screen? Like is it just kind of un like unsaid that he's dead in between these two movies? Episodes two and three? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think we have discussed this, uh, but but yeah. I guess he just dies between the two movies. I've always just assumed that and you're pretty sure they're gonna get Joel Edgerton back for for the Obi-Wan show. He's a good actor, although yeah. he doesn't he doesn't showcase it here. You don't see much. Um, you, see, you, see, you don't you don't get to see anything and you're just gifted the fact that you know he's a good actor now, as opposed to having to be like, ooh, do we have to recast because that guy was just supposed to be a background sort of actor? No, they got someone who's a really good actor, so that they had to reuse them again. Boom. You have somebody who the fan base already knows as that character. Um and he's able to support uh, a good It's like a su- solid supporting role. I would like to see him in there. He's not Taryn Edgerton. like he's like he's not like a big movie star. like maybe I have a, a blind spot, but I'm pretty good about actors and I don't really know Joel Edgerton. He's been in a few good movies. I don't like not movies that I think was he in Warrior? Oh, maybe I don't know. I don't really know what that is. I, I don't know, but I think th- th- he's been in a few movies where um if there's some high let me see well the the gal they have playing Baru was in nexium she's in the nexium documentary the vow on hbo and i don't i think that she's like maybe moved on from that now in fact i know she has but i don't know that she's going to be like first on the call sheet if they want to put aunt Baru in the obi-wan show they can probably figure out how to not have her in the show yeah, I probably don't want to put her in there. You maybe want to put somebody else. <laughs> well, and again, uh, she doesn't exactly turn in the most memorable performance. They could totally recast, or they could just write it so that we don't need Beru Lars. I mentioned on a podcast not so long ago that I think Beru Lars is really the worst, and we don't need her. <laughs> it's just not a story about moms. It's not, It's Star Wars is not about maternal figures at all, and so... Well, it it isn't at this point, but it probably should be. Uh, it's about family more than anything. It doesn't. But, I guess so but it's I, always I, dads. Rogue One is about dads. All obviously, all the Skywalker movies are about dads. They wouldn't have been if no. Carrie Fisher hadn't passed away. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess you think they really would have played into oh, that more. They would have leaned into that hardcore after they killed Han. There's no reason to not lean into it in Episode Nine. I know, but that's uh, still that's still a huge part of Kylo Ren's arc is having killed his father. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it is, but it, it's still something that they definitely would have built in as a much bigger component into Episode 9 I'm positive of it. I guess. Uh, and I mean, especially seeing as the way that each of them is such a, a key focal point, like Han is the key oldie in, the, in, in Force Awakens. Luke is the key uh, return for Last Jedi. And so Carrie Fisher would have made sense for Rise of Skywalker. Um, but I mean, also that does set up a good opportunity for Ray to be the maternal figure long down the line potentially. And you can have her kids be the, the next heirs in the, in in the sequels Could be. Uh, or the, the next set of sequels. Maybe that's the best way to do it. Could be. Okay. Are you ready to move on to number four? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my number four would be uh, detective uh, Kenobi uh, and his case uh, on Camino. Uh, so, uh, really, the kind of in terms of boiling it down to a, a specific point, just the him arriving, and that's why I'm here, and not really knowing what the hell's going on, but just kind of following it along, learning about Sifo learning about uh, the bounty hunter that he was indeed looking for, speaking to Django Fett, and uh, kind of the questioning, the back and forth, and just. I'm just a man trying to make my way in the universe and like the great back and him learning from kind of the prime minister about the deals that have been made. It's just a really, really interesting part of my favorite part of the entire detective arc that Obi-Wan has in this movie, whereas he's going in where he knows nothing. uh, And the just way the Kaminoans are, their friendliness and their, I guess, different sense of time compared to humans uh, and that, I mean, you know, a, a, a decade, that's not that long. Uh, especially seeing as we're growing these people at twice the rate, no issues here. So it's great to see you. It's, it's been a while. We were expecting you one of these days. And then it's its just so, it's expository, but not in a bad way at all. No, you're right. It works. Uh, it, it's just a, re- it just works in every way. It's connecting the stormtroopers in. Uh, and then you're like, oh my God, everything makes sense. You, you know that the Clone Wars... Is about the stormtroopers, but you don't really know how they're going to be put in. And you're realizing, okay, are they going to be for the good guys at the start? Like, what's the deal right here? It's, it's just, it's a really, it, it opens up a, bu- it answers a bunch of questions, and it like asks a ton more that either are or aren't answered in this movie, uh, but certainly broaden out uh, the insight into the maybe grander plan uh, of the Revenge of the Sith. And so it's 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 just a really really great sequence um, from Rainy uh, Pedway to Rainy Pedway. Yeah, I think that most of the exposition is really good, and it's one of those opportunities where you're just asking for it, and it so it doesn't really stand out. I don't I don't think any of it is bad exposition. I think some of it is a little lacking, maybe. And um, an example would be the general population's misunderstanding of who Boba Fett is. I think that it's not clearly communicated that he is a clone of Django Fett. Um, Yes, they do show a couple of little Bobas in the assembly line who are like growing up to be clone troopers. And so maybe you could put two and two together. There's a full line about it. Sure there is. I know there is. I know it's in there, but it just kind of seems to get kind of blown past. And maybe at that point you don't totally know that that's Boba Fett. Um, or, Or maybe you do. Maybe I'm maybe I'm. Just kind of projecting my own uh misunderstandings as a little kid another another example would be that i, th- I think sifo deus falls a little flat because like that's clearly an interesting story and then it just he's, doesn't it, well he's a typo originally okay i maybe i maybe i knew that uh it, it was, a, it was a typo or an anagram with a typo or something. Anyway, it, it was for Sidious. Uh, no, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was Sidious. That's what it was. And so then they change it to Tyrannus. They added an after. Because they don't know who Sidious is at this point either. They shouldn't know. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so it was placed by someone named Sidious. Uh, no, it was placed by, because it, it, it was sifo was the typo. Because uh, just Sidious, the D, the F. And so George Lucas is like, okay, well maybe maybe we're gonna have a sifo and we'll make it that the man named Tyrannus placed it through sifo and that they that's it. we'll do the intro. We won't use Sidious here. We'll we'll make a different character. Uh, and yeah, they've explained a little bit about Sifo-Dyas, uh, but yeah, there's a great great story there about um, the the manipulations of uh, Darth Sidious. Uh, darth tyrannis uh in the Plagueis book darth Plagueis manipulated him as well um so really interesting stuff about uh how uh, an unsanctioned a jedi made an unsanctioned decision to uh, to to order a clone army not not to take anything away from your point because it is it is such a, a visually exciting and creative space it feels very otherworldly even for star wars um And uh it's so sanitized. I really like the the tense the Mm. the the tension when they're in the Fett's apartment in particular. There's clearly something like sketchy here and um the Kaminoans in particular are gross. I don't I I find them creepy to look at, but (laughs) but I like their world very much. And I definitely like how they expose that this is that this is what uh the clones are. And I it's hard for me to remember, but Maybe I didn't realize that at first the, the clone troopers were a good guys, or maybe, maybe like maybe obviously I know that now, but like maybe that wasn't obvious to me right away. And in hindsight, why would it be? What do you mean? I mean, like when I went to watch this movie for the first time, why would I have assumed? During that scene, you mean? Yeah. Why would I have assumed that the clone troopers, the storm troopers to be are um, why would I have assumed that they're initially good guys? Because we didn't know what Order 66 was. Well, no, but we just know that the Republic placed the order and that they're saying that Obi-Wan, here are your, here's your army. But this is part of what makes the visual of all of those guys in white armor compelling. You're like, yeah, these are very similar to the stormtroopers we know from the original trilogy and "Hmm, they're good guys. You made that point, not me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's, and, and that's kind of the interesting, like what is going to be the inciting thing that changes that? Whereas you're not quite realizing that absolutely nothing. Uh, they stay on the same side the entire time. That's it's true. The fact that other elements on their side are pitted against one another. Um, but it's really great to see just how clear George Lucas has control over his saga with this point. This is connecting dots like full slam dunk. You're talking about the Clone Wars and the Stormtroopers are like that's it. That's that's in the That is in a new hope. And yeah. you're able to fully connect that back up. And you're also linking in the FETs. And there's a clear like, oh, wait a minute. That helmet is just Boba Fett's helmet merged with the Stormtrooper's helmet. And then the next movie is just halfway between Attack of the Clone uh, Clone Trooper helmet and a Stormtrooper helmet. Yeah. So it's just more like between. And then so it's just it shows the the nice progression there as well. Uh, I just it's it's a really great kickoff to once again that uh, the the whole uh, Clone Wars era that we know so my number three is the first ever allusions to what will be the Death Star the thing is among other flaws in this movie I said it a second ago uh, it's brutally long and by the time it's over you've been ready for it to be over for quite a while But in its final moments, they give you something that's pretty juicy uh, to sink your teeth into. And it's when the Geonosian hands off the Death Star plans, essentially, to Count Dooku, so he can deliver them to Darth Sidious. And we get a a glimpse of them on the big screen. It doesn't really stand out, but then it's more compellingly in like a little pocket handheld uh, hologram and it's red. Uh, The Death Star plans, of course, have become like a much more curious and, and rich uh, MacGuffin for Star Wars in general obviously in recent years um, but this particular illusion helps ground you and kind of remind you that you're in the Star Wars that you know because this movie even when it's at its best it's it's like throwing a lot of new shit at you and it's really mm-hmm. easy for you to detach yourself from like the Empire Um because also there's not a lot of Palpatine in this movie um, but uh I think that this is like a great moment to remind you that like, all right, we're starting to get towards the Star Wars, you know, and this next movie you're about to watch that'll come out in a couple years, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith or whatever. um, That's really going to draw things together. It's an exciting moment in storytelling. Yeah, you are like slamming down my honorable mentions. I'm loving it. <laughs> good. good. Uh, you know, it's great because you're hitting on all things that I just just made outside my list that I'm happy to be able to talk about because it's really cool to be able to see that hollow. Oh, yeah. And you're just, it, it pieces things together. It's, it, it, you don't really start to clue into unless you like watch it a few times and, and that, like, okay, so the Geonosians, that's where the Death Star is being built at the start with their slave labor. Uh, and then eventually, uh, Palpatine eradicates the Geonosian species, and then they move it further over into different areas. And so it's just, it's, it's like you said, it's that great tipping off point to, um, okay, we're going back to like we will find our way back to Darth Vader breaking down the door on the 4. I mean, it's we're we're gonna be there. Don't worry, uh, it will all tie in the end. Um, because it really has felt a little bit separate for a while, but this is uh, kind of one of those clear distinctions that along with the clones, similar to the way I was uh, eager to see all of those there. It's it's an important part to see. Well, and like he's got his army, you know, yeah. that, that's now he he's, needs his battle station. He's got, exactly. He's got 200,000 troops in the ready, and they're making more as we speak, and we got to start. Building a garage for them, a place to put them somewhere. And, like, it's easy for us to take for granted that, of course, it would take a very long time to build the Death Star because that's a little inconsistent throughout Star Wars. And they build one that's, like, how much bigger in just four years? Yeah, in just four years. That seems like a little intense. Three, four years. Especially without the Geonosians. Um, But (laughs) I didn't know that he eradicated their species. Was that just, like, a fit of anger or something? Yeah, I don't know if he killed. I don't know if he put them, like, made them extinct. But he, he, no, just as um tying up loose ends oh okay yeah you guys know yeah. too much so yep. yeah yeah okay. because he got them they like they did a lot of the early work poggle the lesser was one of the the key cogs in the, and that's like same way that he wraps up all of his loose ends in revenge of the sith when anakin goes and kills all like 13 separatist leaders or whatever many there are that's right uh, yeah that's the best way for sidious to be able to tie up his ends they've just done a really good job of telling The story of the death star over a lot of movies and it's like almost nobody's favorite thing about star wars but it probably should be like it's it's really what all the star wars movies are are built around is a, a space station that you can't believe how scary it is and like we have all these conversations about star wars and you and i don't talk about the death star that much and it really is like a pretty well told through line in all of these movies yeah it's it's like it like it appears in six movies yep yeah. A version of the Death Star. It's also That's iconic. Fun. Like people who don't know Star Wars probably know, you know what the, the Death, Death Star, Star is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, your number three. Uh, my number three uh, is the fight in the Petronaki Arena. That would be the big battle. Um, our three of our main heroes um, versus three total alien beasts. Okay. Uh, a Reek an and Ackley, And the next two we've got Anakin, Obi Wan, Padme. Uh, I love the little, uh, we've come to rescue you. Oh, good job. Um, And then Padme completely just, like, looking after herself, no issues whatsoever. She's able to climb the pole, and she's, like, whipping the nexus with the chain. Uh, And it's just a really, really cool battle sequence. Uh, It's very gladiator-esque. I actually like it better before, like, backup arrives. And it's just them being very creative and dodging the the beasts and just using their wits Me too. Uh, where they're like, they have like the, their, their binders on. Uh, and then of course, when it comes to like the, the big arena, there are, there are other cool moments. Um, but of all the things that occur there, this is my, my favorite part is, is when they're like ready to get um, just destroyed and skewered on their posts uh, to the point where they're actually kind of, Commanding their own fate uh, and then get of course their asses rescued because they can't last forever Oh, yeah, when Padme gets that chunk torn out of her back you feel it yourself. Oh my They're god. Like, oh just man, like in it's Deep-looking cuts and, um, and which one of the beasts was that it was like the cat rat one Yeah, it's like the cat rat with like eight eyes or something disgusting Yeah, I think it two out of three of them actually age pretty well digitally speaking And that's the one that doesn't age quite as well having watched the sequence today I would agree that one ages the worst. Uh, the Reek is really similar to the Mudhorn. Yes, it is. Uh, and uh, the acle acle. there's another species that's really similar to that as well that uh, has a big feature in Lords of the Sith. And so they're really like, I just pictured them because uh, I Googled it quickly. I was like, oh, okay, so that's what they kind of look like. And I was just like, for the rest of the audio book, I was like, oh my God, they're doing some Sidious Invader are like fucking some shit. Up when they face these guys, but they're like a, that's a cool beast uh, and very uh creative but still feeling like star wars. Well, and there's a long history of of Star Wars villains tossing our heroes into a pen with something terrifying that's meant to tear it apart and obviously we see that in Jabba's palace with the big muddy thing that Luke crushes between the door Uh, the rancor yeah the rancor we we see it even in solo a star wars story because that's how we meet Chewie like this is absolutely this is a galactically traditional way of of torturing our heroes and obviously our heroes are always better off for the experience well not better off but like they usually are are victorious and that's That's pretty gratifying to watch because you actually never feel the suspense. You just get to watch some good action. And in this one, it's broad daylight. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. No, that's one of the best parts of Solo. Uh, But yeah, I agree. This is one broad daylight, another win uh, because there's just sometimes not enough of that uh, in Star Wars or in any movies or television for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We good? Uh, Yeah. Not much else to say there. All right. This is is one where you might call bullshit because I'm like, I'm being so broad. But also, maybe not, because we've also heard most of your list already. My number two is uh, lightsaber innovation. So, I didn't really want to flood my whole list with just lightsaber stuff from Attack of the Clones. I probably could have. It is the first time we see a purple lightsaber. It's the first Mm. time we see Yoda with a lightsaber, for better or worse. It's the first time we see someone wield two lightsabers at once and if you were to make me pick that would be the one i would choose i've always thought that was the coolest thing in the world um obviously the big aerial shot of like hundreds of jedi having like a million lightsabers all in one place in a single battle um attack of the clones might be the most influential movie in terms of our modern lightsaber understanding Lightsaber-wise, uh, this film makes all other Star Wars movies appear a little creatively conservative, and I think it's part of the reason why we're a little um, unsatisfied by the lightsabers in the sequel trilogy. Because we're like, you you tried all kinds of new things in the prequels, and you've tried nothing new in the sequels—not nothing, but very little new. And like this this movie in particular is like, it's 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 made them a whole new thing. Am I crazy? No. However, I think it's a really, really interesting point. For one, the fact that you chose your favorite one as being when Anakin has the two lightsabers and it's like the flashing uh, black and sparks, like like it's going out from being like completely pitch black to sparking and Anakin's got the two sabers. Um, yeah, that that also slam dunk on my honorable mentions, good sir. I mean, it's um, it's not that I like. It's not that I even like Anakin with two lightsabers. I just like the premise so of two swift. lightsabers. It never occurred to me as a kid. It never occurred to me you could have one in each hand, and so that was mind blowing. It's 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 to me it was the same as seeing a double bladed lightsaber. It's like I didn't know you could do that. Okay. Well, that's interesting because that's what my other point was going to be. I find it also interesting because it doesn't do anything like that. There are no, like besides the curved hilt, there are no real mechanical innovations of lightsabers, but that's okay because it is definitely the movie that is, uh, it holds the least back on giving you lightsabers. And it, besides Yoda, it's not worse for wear for it. No. And so it's something that I, I absolutely think it, it is a great choice. The the purple lightsaber, this party's over. Mace Windu being a badass with it, like, it beheading Jango Fett. Um, there are some really, really cool lightsaber moments. Anakin's getting, br- like, cut in half. Obi-Wan's going to kill me. Nice. Um, when he's got uh, the fact that it's uh, not his uh, original, like, not his, uh, not the lightsaber that gets passed down to Luke. But it's a different lightsaber, but it's one that actually looks a little bit more like his lightsaber when he becomes Vader. Uh, Mm. So there's like a bunch of really cool little things. I love Yoda's Hilton. So I I totally agree. I think this movie uh, is the best movie when it comes to um, wetting the lightsaber whistle. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And frankly, I didn't even think of the curved hilt that belongs to Count Dooku, which, which I think as a kid, is I did number one on your list. Yeah, it might have been. I love it. Um, yeah, but as a kid, I wasn't so crazy about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just I, it's what I think jazzed me the most before I was a more critical movie viewer. I was just mm-hmm. like, well, that's that. I don't care me what too. people say. Attack of the Clones is good because all the lightsabers and yeah. and that part of me still kind of feels that way. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't fully disagree. Although the lightsaber battles in particular are only eh. It doesn't matter because there's just so much good lightsaber. Yeah. Usage. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number two, your turn. Uh, my number two uh, is uh, pretty much the the pinnacle of the title. Where is your apprentice? On his way to Naboo, escorting Senator Amidala. I have to admit that without the clones, it would not have been a victory. Victory. Victory, you say, Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun the Clone War has begun. The Clone War has yeah, uh, and really begun. The Empire has. This is such a great, incredible moment. It's one of the last things in the movie. And then they show just the masses of these clone troopers and star destroyers. First time seeing star destroyers. Right. So now we're not only seeing the clone troopers, we're seeing star destroyers. And now we see who is looking out over all of this Bail Organa and Palpatine, Mm -hmm. the leader and the founder of the rebellion and the leader and the founder of the empire. Standing next to each other on a balcony looking o- over the original trilogy and what is yet to come. And this is what leads us into Revenge of the Sith. This is such a pump-up moment. And uh, I, I wish I could relive this moment uh, in the theater uh, for the first time sort of thing. Because it would be the kind of thing that would just blow my mind and blow just anyone's mind the way it just loops things together so nicely and the beginning of this war that we've heard so much about um, and really this trilogy kind of becoming what you expected it to be. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. And I don't know why I didn't consider begun the clone has honestly if that's of course that's a that's a wonderful and exhilarating moment in this movie but i've never picked up on the symbolism of palpatine sharing that space and that frame with bail organa and and the the dichotomy that Illustrates. Mm. That's that's very good filmmaking, uh, and and it's another example. Maybe one of the reasons it hasn't stood out to me is because Bail Organa is kind of underserved in this in this trilogy. Like this is an awesome, fascinating person, and he kind of should have his own movie almost. Like he he's clearly such a heroic figure in the times of Skywalker, um, yeah. and a lot of people don't even know who he is. Um, yeah, I'd like him to be a big character in the Cassian show. Yeah, I don't think it makes it makes no sense to not make him a big character. I maybe mean, maybe the Obi Wan show going to be in it. So the Obi Wan show, there's absolutely opportunity for him to be in that as well. Yeah. Absolutely opportunity for him to communicate with with Obi Wan uh, or even rendezvous somewhere for like a very important meeting. And there's always been there has been rumors about casting for young Luke and Leia. Yeah. And so if they're casting for both of them, uh, then like. Eight or nine, I think, was the casting rumor. Then Bale Organa would likely be in it as well. Whether the cartoon uh, Star Wars TV shows are your cup of tea or not, I think that it was really smart of them to to choose that storyline to expound upon as long as a long, as long ago as they did. Um, because you're right that it it feels a a little a little flat to go from the end of one movie where the war war has begun and it's supposed to be this big moment and then you go to the next Mm. movie and the war is kind of wrapping up already and clearly we need to communicate that this was long and difficult in that period of time so the audience has that understood and maybe not not every star wars viewer does have that understood but at least that information is there to receive because obviously like the the line the clone war has begun or begun the clone war has that that should be followed by a lot of trauma yeah, no, it's something that in in retrospect, I don't know how you do it. Not, and I, Well, I, I've said before, actually when we did the Attack of Clones in this podcast that I believe that that moment should be like two-thirds of the way or three-quarters of the way into the movie. Yeah, um, And I think that there should be a bit more that goes on at the end. And you can reorganize some things even to just make it start, like to just start to set things up a little bit more. Um, and so... Uh, I think that would be really important, Uh, but I know that George Lucas had wanted to do it kind of in a different way. He wanted to tack on a longer beginning to Revenge of the Sith, uh, but ended up cutting that, and then there there kind of eliminates your entire Clone Wars. Uh, So that's why he kind of wanted to go back, because he didn't want to... He wanted to tell those stories. He just ran out of space in film. Uh, But I think with maybe a bit broader planning it could have been done a bit 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 differently but ultimately i'm thrilled because i love the clone wars and it expanded upon the time period just so well well and i guess i'm forgetting once again that they really made that clone wars movie before they did the tv show and that really it was the movie that allowed them to make the tv show which was good but the movie wasn't so good actually no and so what happened was they were doing the tv show and then george took just four random episodes um, and just said like well not four random episodes four episodes that weren't arc okay. they weren't the first arc though chronologically and said these ones are going to be a movie and <sighs> Dave Filoni just had to like move, merge them into a movie and then they were able to get like Samuel L. Jackson and a couple people because it was going to go into the theaters I think you're probably um, right about the the biggest difference between him and James Cameron being temperament but they they would they would be equally frustrating to work with. No matter how cooperative one might be, as compared to the other, like one is just a more, um, cinematically capable person, and the other is is you know one of my favorite filmmakers ever. But like he would be frustrating to work for. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine he would be very very frustrating to work for. Yeah. Uh, but still worthwhile because I mean, well, thank God Dave Filoni was able to deal with it. So you talked a lot about Kamino already, in particular, uh, Obi-Wan's presence on Kamino as a detective. And so kind of like a theatrical, um, conversational, investigative uh, portion of the movie. Um, The part that I want to highlight for my number one spot on this list, my favorite thing about Attack of the Clones is the action sequence that follows it. It's the Kamino shootout. Uh, In a movie that strives to have the most exciting action sequences ever in a Star Wars movie it essentially fails to do that Um, even the best action sequences in this movie uh, pale in comparison to the cream of the crop in Star Wars Um, but if there's a contender I think it involves uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi evading the attacks of a hostile Jango Fett uh, in the piss pouring rain on the decks of the Kaminoan cloning facility. It's like kind of like a classic, like classic movie a hero is blindsided by like a stranger in a in a cloak. Um, not literally in a cloak in this case, but we don't know who he is. Um, the action is so good. Uh, and i've always wanted star wars to have more rain i don't know why but i remember that being a thing that i always like it's it adds to the drama and suspense that it's pouring rain it just feels more dangerous and more um more suspenseful Definitely. Uh, and it's helped by the fact that jango fett he's he's cut pretty short like an hour later in the film and so this ends up being the most action we ever see from him and so it's it's kind of the jango fett scene and, and it's also the Boba Fett scene in that regard and that they're the same character. That's true. It's the most you ever get to see from Boba Fett. Yep, that's uh, right. And he's battling a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like and he kicks to. ass. Yeah, he does. It's, it's, it's just, it's super cool. Yeah, no, it really is. I chose the ones around it, uh, kind of the ones sandwiching at the uh, uh, Camino cloning facility, and then kind of the, the the banter back and forth that they have where they're kind of questioning each other, knowing who the other is, but not wanting to admit it. And then, of course, the seismic charges. And so I was glad you, you mentioned the, the fight in the ring because it is, it is so awesome, and it does... Um, uh, even the kind of the, the heads up the Boba gives Django and uh, it, it it's a really great sequence. And so obviously Obi-Wan knows this guy he's fighting is the guy he just met inside because he saw the, the armor. But does yeah. Django realize that he has shown his cards here? Does he, he's put on his helmet. Does he think he's being uh, evasive? Actually, I don't know if uh, we do. I can't remember if does Obi-Wan see the armor? I think he does because I think Boba sees him seeing the armor. I don't know. I, I I don't know if Boba does it like if he gets ahead of him and we see the armor. I, either way, it's one of the two, so I, I can't remember I, don't, I, I, I can't give an answer on that one because I don't know what it is. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Django Fetcher's shit knows he's hiding and he immediately puts that on. He's trying to get away like ASAP, uh, but he just gets a bit of bad luck. Uh, and he's trying to spend the entire time trying to lose Obi-wan. He doesn't he just wants to get rid of him. Well, he's trying to kill Obi-wan because he chases him into space on the slave one. Isn't that what happens next? Like wh- I thought it was the other. I, I also i I don't remember this. who leaves first, but I thought the slave one left first. Well, maybe you're right. actually, that kind of makes more sense at this point. but, uh, yeah, well, between the 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 two of us, we kind of like, favorited a huge chunk of the movie here everything that features django and obi-wan like from the detective plot to the action sequence to the asteroid field to the seismic chargers like clearly that is what we're saying is the watchable part of the film is the obi-wan stuff yes it is the best part of the movie without a doubt it's uh it was something that i didn't i i didn't want to pick just one specific aspect of like i didn't want to just say the obi-wan part i wanted to just pick like pick apart key key moments and so although this is not necessarily obi-wan and jango Fat, are you kind of done on your point yeah that's really all i i wanted to say i just i just love the rain in star wars and i like i like a shootout i like that it's two yeah. characters and we don't get a lot of that in this movie either like all of the biggest sequences are between like you know a hundred people against a hundred people and like that's fine um but even, you know, even the stuff in the Geonosian factory, which is another very cartoony sequence, by the way, like it's Anakin and Padme and the droids are there. And there's also like it it it's just a lot going on, whereas this is like a very clear tennis match between Django and Obi-Wan. And it's just it's mm-hmm. just like classic action. I, I That's what I like about it. So I guess all we have left is your favorite thing about Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and I think you, you kind of led right into it greatly with kind of that one-on-one a uh, tennis match, but maybe a bit more of a tennis match where one person uh, is the pro and one person is maybe the rookie. and it's... Oh no, my friend. This is a mistake. A terrible mistake. They've gone too far. This is madness. I thought you were the leader here, Dooku. This had nothing to do with me, I assure you. I will petition immediately to have you set free. Well, I hope it doesn't take too long. I have work to do. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before, Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon always spoke very highly of you. I wish he were still alive. I could use his help right now. Qui-Gon Jinn would never join you. What a great interaction, Obi-Wan and Count Dooku. Obi-Wan in these kind of electric binders, uh, and Dooku just laying out, The Truth from a certain point of view and saying take my hand join me and together We can rule the galaxy as master and apprentice. Yeah destroy the sith and bring balance to the force It's 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 the Empire Strikes Back with I am your master's master Which is basically like we've never met before but Obi-Wan I'm your grandfather in the force. That's true Uh, It's it's a really subtle but wonderful homage to that sequence but at the same time bringing qui-gon back in and his largest element in the film uh it is the from a certain point of view truth that obi-wan <laughs> later uses on luke uh it's uh, expository but makes sense dooku holds all the cards and doesn't flinch and when obi-wan doesn't want to listen I'm sure it might be difficult to secure re- your release, and uh, Dooku's just a cold motherfucker. At the end, oh, uh, yeah. it's just start to finish such a smart sequence. You could watch it over and over and over again, and it's a great acting performance. Uh, it's really well written. Uh, it just it, it 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 works so well in execution, which a lot of people give the prequel shit for. But it just it it really really jumps out as such an important point, point uh, and what could have been a massive pivot if Obi Wan had believed that information and had had utilized it sooner uh, and been able to take that as a lead that he could trust. It could have changed the entire course of the Clone Wars. And maybe maybe for the better, it would have been interesting to see. Even if only for a brief time, if Obi-Wan had kind of fallen for that trap just a second, just to illustrate to us that he's not done growing yet either, because his training was kind of cut short, and it also would have been an opportunity to enrich the character of Count Dooku, who I've said maybe a few times mm. recently is good, but maybe not great um, sure. in Star Wars and is maybe a little bit lacking. I uh, I think this is a fantastic choice, and I I never love anything so much as as when a movie that is in the same place in the trilogy as another movie in another trilogy does a thing that that movie does. So like you just said, Mm. like, like this is the empire strikes back of the trilogy. It's the middle one. And it's not the empire strikes back of the trilogy for many, for many other reasons, but that is exactly a mirror of that specific moment, but not with characters that are even skywalkers. And so it just kind of, it just kind of works and it, it slip slips in there. So subtly, something I really enjoy about the acting of Christopher Lee is his um when he walks in and he's like oh they've completely overstepped this is a huge mistake i'll have you released at once they've yeah gone too far i just this find it, madness <laughs> yeah i find it's chilling because you know he's putting it on but like he sounds pretty sincere and so you almost want to trust him even though you know he's a scumbag but uh a uh, great moment yeah really good one yeah no it's it's just a great back and forth and like you said the the, oh, this is ridiculous. Uh, I'll um, I'll petition for immediate release to the, the end of, oh, your, your release may be difficult. Yeah. Uh, and Qui-Gon Jinn would never have joined you. Uh, it's such a great back and forth. But Obi-Wan, I think the main reason as to why he, he's not remotely tempted by it is to show distinction between him and Anakin, is to show that Obi-Wan was trained by Qui-Gon and that he was able to know that, no, you're... Not playing by the force here, Dooku. I'm not falling for your shit. Qui-Gon Jinn would never have joined you. Not Qui-Gon to. would have maybe been pissed with the council. I know Qui-Gon was super pissed with the council, but it doesn't mean that he'd be uh, chilling with a bunch of separatists um, plotting a redistribution of wealth and a war for the galaxy. Not to beat a dead horse, but it would have been another good reason to make Rey a Kenobi because she doesn't join she knows the difference yeah. um now i mean not all skywalkers join the dark side but two out of three of them do you know or two out of four yeah. if you include leia so uh yeah yeah let's not let's not uh, open that can of worms again no. <laughs> they're very good A- any others you wanted to mention any other uh highlights that you think deserve some some mentioning some praise and attack of the clones uh the only two uh honorable mentions that we haven't already talked about uh would be dexter jester yeah, I know uh, you not, like Dexter. Not, I know you like. I don't him. like the diner. I don't like the diner, but I like Dexter. Okay, yeah, I, I like I can the, take the conversation. Around. I think it's I fine. can take him or leave him. He has some good lines for sure. Yeah, uh, and I uh, and I also love the fact that it's like Obi Wan, who's the detective, going to see the old barkeep that he knows who can give him intel on something. I, I like that aspect of it as well. Sure, uh, and then of course, Anakin's stalking of the Tuscan Raider camp is incredible. Oh, look! Um, I think we make a lot of jokes about. Um, and by the way, is this movie I hate sand? Yes. It's course, it's Ralph and it gets everywhere. So obviously that's like example exhibit A for the bad dialogue in the prequel trilogy. And frankly, uh they're animals and I slaughtered them like animals is is one of those moments too. But there's I actually don't hate I Slaughtered Them Like Animals. I that's a good line. Yeah. It, it shows that he's crazy and it's like it's it's a disturbing line. It's supposed it's to be the- disturbing and it's and it's uh and it's of course it a, a necessary moment in the gradual turn of Anakin Skywalker is to see this happen it's also nice mm-hmm. that we got to go back to to Tatooine which we already talked about but like we needed to close the door on Shmi that's implicit to his character that he i mean i guess that's the mother storyline we were talking about earlier is Anakin and Shmi and it's it's yep. a tragic one so so yeah, it's kind absolutely. of interesting it's kind I'm of interesting not able to really go back to his mother. Isn't He's not that, able to look back. Isn't that funny, though, that a maternal story is what kicks off this like long string of paternal stories? I never thought yeah. about that before. Okay, well, good. The lack of a paternal figure as well. So uh, anything going on in the news? Uh, n- n- no. <laughs> there uh, there are very well may be, uh, uh, well, there's going to be a, a, a look, a Mandalorian season two look on uh, Monday the 19th. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what's in that. Some recent Mandalorian uh, TV spots have had the Mithral back. So that's uh, Horatio Sands' uh, uh, bluish fish guy. Uh, And so I I, I had kind of the the theory that maybe uh, Mando, they need backup. And he's got a bunch of people in carbonite still frozen um, that he can maybe haul out. Although they did kind of imply that he already dumped off some of his bounties uh, in the first episode. But I like to think maybe he's got still a few back there that he can just, you know, thaw if he needs some backup for a job that he can he can sell them back the freedom for for the price of the job. Or, or if nothing else, this guy turns up again and uh, he kind of owes Mando his life in some kind of way. I'm not sure why that might be because Mando probably did sell him out. But uh, he did save his life, though. He did save his life. I don't remember liking him very much. So I'm not like I didn't I'm not psyched to see him again, but I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping uh, he's redeeming uh, or he doesn't talk very much, but hopefully not as annoying as last time. Right, right. Uh, other than that, not a whole lot. Uh, there's a rumor about uh, some uh, scouting being done in Scotland, uh, potentially for Star Wars project. So that could be um, some of the early Jedi stuff if you want to go back to Octo um, or just different landscapes. Maybe they just liked working in Scotland. That's very believable as well. Um, other than that, uh, there is the Christmas special, uh, which a few people have signed on to do. It's uh, Billy D. Williams, uh, Anthony Daniels. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Kelly Marie Tran, and who else? I think there's one more. Anyway. Yeah, maybe. Um, but and it, it's good to see some of those uh, voices aboard. Uh, I kind of assumed Daisy Ridley would be doing Ray, saying as a, she's the main character in it. So hopefully they confirm that. It would be a little yeah. weird to not have to to have gone that approach and to to not have Daisy Ridley, uh, or maybe they've been kind of in a long search for somebody who can do Ray voiceover work if they intend to use uh, her non um, in non live action for things moving forward. Well, she can probably do voiceover work. She probably has a Yeti microphone in her apartment, given that she's doing audio books now. Yeah, no, I think I think she. I don't think she's. I mean, it's not like she could use the work. But I also don't think hurt. she doesn't, I don't, she's said before that she's not getting a ton of work. Yep. So I'd also don't think that it would be ridiculous to have her back for it. It would just make sense. This movie, uh, this the little special actually kind of seems like it's gearing up to be maybe a bit of an event, like not just a throwaway thing. Like it might actually be a blast. Yeah, I think it's, sh- I think it should be fun. It's going to take kind of the, well, not kind of, it's going to take the Lego Star Wars approach and it's going to be funny. It'll be canonically possible, uh, but it won't be something that you're supposed to take seriously. And it'll be probably a really good redemption on the original Christmas special. Uh, And we'll have people maybe wanting another one in a few years' time. And I could see that being a really nice tradition every once in a while, uh, getting a silly Star Wars story that could be about, like, who cares? Because it would just be... A fun thing. Well, and we've really enjoyed uh, having Star Wars be a part of our Christmases for the last five years. And this is different. Yeah. I mean, everything about movies is different this year. Obviously, we're not going to the theaters to see this one, and we wouldn't be anyway. But, you know, this is all we're going to get, and so this is going to be this year's Star Wars Christmas movie, and so we're going to make the most of it. Yeah, we'll do a podcast on it for sure. Of course, yeah. Um, and there are some rumors of potentially uh, a Cara Dune spinoff. Uh, with Ugh. the character Bo-Katan. Um, but I don't know. That seems uh, unlikely and uh, premature to me. Just, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. Yeah. Um, but there's some speculation about that, and so there, it, it may build or it may die down. However, Bo-Katan I think there's a pretty decent chance that we'll see her in season two, and so I, I hope so. That would be nice to. She's cool. There, yeah. I yeah, her. cool character, and really kind of unites a, a lot of uh, different storylines together, and. Um, can bring in a lot of other potential characters too. Is that all you got? That is all I got, good sir. Okay, happy birthday this week, Wednesday, October 21st to the great Carrie Fisher. Happy birthday. And then uh, Friday, October 23rd, happy birthday to Amelia Clark. Uh, We would really love for you to send us your top six favorite things about Attack of the Clones. It's a very good chance we touched on some of them tonight because there is a limited number of good things about this movie. (laughs) It's just the truth. We also picked some broad things, too. Yeah, Yeah, uh, we did. It was also nice that I had, I think, besides the Obi-Wan, well, no, not even the Obi-Wan. Our lists were really entirely different, yeah our lists were 100 different i think you had like six of my honorable mentions that's amazing <laughs> yeah so let us know your favorite things about attack of the clones you can email at recorder it's recorder66podcast at gmail.com you can tweet us at recorder66 as always please rate and review on your preferred podcast app and until we are together again may the force be with you